This morning we're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. In honor of, honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read that passage? Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So if you're a guest with us, we just work our way through the scriptures and you happen to have joined us as we hit this part in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And just for a little background, if you haven't been here, um, this church of, of in the region of Galatia, which is southern Turkey, this church has uh, just recently been planted by Paul and Silas and it, it was... It was thriving at first, but then after Paul gets back to the church in Antioch where he was sent from, he gets news that they're starting to believe they have to be circumcised, they have to keep the laws of Moses, and so he's writing this letter to them to, to correct that idea. Some of the people from, Jew, from Jerusalem, probably Jewish converts, maybe more than likely Pharisees who had converted to following Jesus as the Messiah and were so into their religious routines and rituals had, had before when they made proselytes, the first thing they did was make sure they were circumcised. So they thought, well, if these guys, these Gentiles became Christians, then they need to do the laws of Moses. So that's why, what's the background of where we're at in this letter? You know, this being July 4th, I gotta say, I really love this country. I've lived in Japan, I've visited many countries, but there is no place like America. And I believe that's because of our Christian heritage. We're still reaping the benefits of the, the godly principles of some of the founding fathers. Uh, one of my ancestors was a signer of the Constitution, started the American Bible Society, made sure that the Bible was in every public school. That is part of the beginning of our country, and that's part of why we have been so blessed over the years. The nation's founders were people seeking religious freedom, but that liberty is under assault today. Well, it's been under assault for over 100 years now, um, and the assault never lets up. But it seems like it's coming to a head in our day, doesn't it? The meaning of terms, have you noticed, is flips upside down. Uh, a particular term or phrase you use, all of a sudden it's being used in the opposite way. The law is being applied with prejudice, and Lady Justice seems to have at times taken off her blindfold. Corruption and greed are running rampant in clever ways to, to skirt the law, to get around the law. And our borders flung open, and the money presses can't keep up with all the spending, which is really robbing our great our grandchildren and great grandchildren. Fatherless homes are an epidemic in our society. Crime is surging. 
when as a nation we forsake the Lord, he will give us over to the consequences of our actions. The only possible remedy is to return to him. Amen? I thought that would be a big amen. And that, that's what we can pray for. And you, you know what? The other day I was standing out in front of the church and a, a man was walking by while I was whistling the song we're going to do at the end of the service today. So I guess he assumed I was a believer. And he says, so what's it like to be a Christian in a new age town? And I said, well, it's wonderful because we're on the front lines <laughs> and we're getting to see young people turn away from the new age philosophy and realize Jesus is their savior. And he said, you know what? I've been traveling from the East Coast and everywhere we stop, it's the same story. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> I said, wow, really? Are you serious? He said, absolutely. Everywhere we stop, people are coming to Jesus. That gives me hope, you know? And, and when you watch the news, it's like, oh, we're done, you know, <laughs> right? It's over. But when you hear what's happening on the ground, it's like, woo, praise God. <laughs> He's at work, amen. The public message from entertainment, media, and education, and even many churches feeds on a, a self-centeredness, a self-centered narrative. And it all really comes down to this message to the Galatians that we're studying. Can we be righteous by, on our own? Can we be good enough for God? And in our day, it even goes a step further. Can we reject God's standards and make up our own? Can we redefine what righteousness is? That's the secular assault on faith in Jesus. And then there's the religious misdirection as well. Dennis Prager is a Jew with a very popular uh, podcast I enjoy, Fireside Chats. And he gives a conservative commentary on current culture, and he takes email questions. At the every one of his podcasts, he ends with these random questions from people listening to his show. And this one question intrigued me. It was put to him. In fact, I almost kind of turned it off, but then I saw this question was coming. It was, how do you experience God? was really anxious to hear his answer as being a Jew. And he said that he always tries to please God every day and everything he does. And he also stated that he had a hard time loving God because of all the pain and suffering in the world. And though he realized that it all came from the fall of mankind, he said, I still get a, can't get around the fact that God made man and that was the result of all the pain. But surely as a good Jew, he knows and he daily recites the Shema, which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. Without the cross of Jesus and the redemption that he brings, the creation of man just doesn't make sense. It's like the cross, it's like, the, the hinge on everything turns on. It makes it all make sense. It brings it all together. Now, secular Jews aren't alone in this misdirection. An evangelist that works here in the city and up at the university in Flagstaff and we contribute to and help support, he, one of the ways he does the, shares the gospel is he gives them a survey. 
and uh, a verbal survey. And he, one of the questions he asks is, what do you think your chances are of getting into heaven? And they'll give some percentage, you know, 50, 80, 20. And then he says, why? And the answer, 95% of the time, the answer is, is because I try to be good. Because I'm better than the next guy. Because I do this, because I do that, different things like that. I give my time to charity and so forth. Paul's gospel of grace has somehow been replaced in our culture with the bad news of just try harder. You can do it. If you're good enough, you might make it. Wow. Do you, do you know that that's really the Islamic philosophy? To some extent, they, they think that in the end, your good deeds are, you're going to, your life is going to be put on this big, uh, um, it's a top of a thing that you walk under as you, like an arch as you go under, and your life's going to be put on there like a balance scale, and all your good deeds are going to be put on one side, and all your bad deeds on the other, and then God will decide. And maybe it goes this way, and he can still, the God of Islam can still send you to hell, it's up to him, but hopefully because your good deeds outweigh your bad, you're going to go to heaven. Well, good luck. That's all I got to say. Isn't it great to know that we have the assurance that Jesus paid it all? Amen? Um, I'm going to go back. Um, over verse 5, we did verse 5 last week in the message, but it kind of ends in the middle of a sentence. So I'm going to go back to verse 5 so there'll be the continuity there. Verse 5 and 6 read, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul's asking to the Galatians, did God supply the Holy Spirit to your lives because you obeyed all the Jewish laws? Did he work miracles because you kept the religious rules meant for the Jewish nation? And they would have known for that it wasn't the case because they just now started trying to keep them. They hadn't before when God was doing all these things in their midst. So what Paul's doing is using what we called today the Socratic method, but it was a common method of rabbis as well. If you ask the right questions, you can lead people to the right answers. They can come to the right conclusions on their own. Paul's asking them to carefully consider how God worked in their lives in the past and ask themselves if grace was given to them because they got better or at obeying the laws of Moses, or was it the result of their faith in God? And the answer was obvious, and it was exposing that mis misdirection of the Judaizers. Dear fellow believer, if you're experiencing life in Christ, if you're experiencing his joy in your heart, communion with him in prayer, a new passion to please God in all you do, fellowship with believers, I would ask you if it's because you've been sinless. Of course it isn't. It's similar question to what Paul's asking the Galatians here. Is the grace of God real to you? Does God relate to us and direct our lives because we finally got it all together? 
or because he's gracious? You know the answer. All that we do is apply faith to what we hear in his word. And even that, even that faith that we have is a gift of God, of his grace. As always, Paul backs up his point with scripture. He always proves the points that he's making with, from Old Testament scripture. Brothers and sisters, if we want to proclaim the truth, we need to know the scriptures. Amen? There are Bibles everywhere. I've got at least half a dozen in print and 20 on my laptop in 20 different translations. But there is a famine today for hearing the word of God. The prophet Amos predicted that time was coming. You know, often when, I, when at, at the end of the close of the service, I'm outside greeting the guests that come, and they say, man, I wish we had a church in our town that just preached the scriptures. Um, I was celebrating with Jean yesterday, at her 90th birthday, and um, she was saying, the thing that makes this church different is we just go through the word of God, and we just talk about what the word of God teaches the word of God is truth. Paul points to verse six, uh, in verse six to Abraham, again, as an illustration of salvation by faith alone. And so uh, let's go and to Genesis 15, if you wanna look at it in your scripture, I don't know if we're gonna put that whole thing up on, on the uh, board or not, on the overhead or not. But Genesis 15 from verse 1, we'll read about what, what Paul's referring to here in this, in this passage. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God comes to Abraham in a vision, and he tells him not to fear. Now, you have to have a little background what had just happened before. Abraham and his, and, uh, his allies had just defeated five kings that had ransacked Sodom and took his nephew Lot into captivity. So after defeating them, Abraham was probably a little concerned. Maybe they're going to get back together. They're going to get back to their cities, rally some more troops, and come attack me. Because Abraham's troops were much smaller than these, the troops of these five kings. And maybe, I believe, that's why the Lord told him, don't fear. That God himself would be Abraham's shield. He would protect him. And then God said, he is Abraham's reward. I know in our ESV translation, it says your reward shall be very great. But almost every other translation says, I am your exceeding great reward. 
What? God is our great reward for faith? I think that's an accurate translation, and that is an exceeding great reward, amen? And I think it's partly because it relates to what Abraham was doing. Abraham was, was not going to take any of the spoils, any of, the, of those things that, you know, the booty that you capture at, in war, you take all the possessions of the people that you conquer, and he's riding back to where his, he kept his flocks and herds and, and the king of Sodom and all their people and his nephew and everybody's coming back. And he's going to give his allies their, their portion for helping him. And he's given a tenth to Melchizedek, but Abraham says, I don't want anything from Sodom. I don't want to gain anything because of the corruption in Sodom. I don't, my, I don't want my hands to touch it. And so God says, I am your very great reward. Wow. That illustrated, that's going to be in the next part of this same chapter, chapter 15. We see God gives himself to Abraham in the covenant that he made. You can read that at a later time. He is our reward. Do you know that Jesus is yours? I love the fact that in the, the Song of Songs, one of the uh, beautiful love poetry in the Bible, three different times it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. You belong to Jesus and he belongs to you if you've entered into that new covenant with him. That's that's one of those, <laughs> I can't grasp it all, but I love it. So Abraham responded to that incredible promise that God had just given him with what was on his heart. He didn't say, wow, thank you, God. It's all good now. No, he said there was this burden on his heart. that, And, and I think that's a lesson for us that when we're talking to God, you don't have to hide anything. He sees it all anyway. He sees everything in your heart, so you might as well tell him what's on your mind, right? You might as well be honest with him like the psalmist often was in the Psalms and just tell him what, what's burdening you. Abraham wanted an heir. His wealth and his legacy would go to his chief servant if he didn't have an offspring. And so he complained to God about not having a child. And God told Abraham to look up at the stars and count them if you can. And, you know, we even in a, a night sky city like ours, it's nothing like getting out in the middle of nowhere. You know, we, when we used to go to Lake Powell and we'd get in a little canyon far away from civilization and we'd sleep up on the roof of the houseboat and we'd fall asleep counting shooting stars because it's so clear up there you can see the, the ones you can't see here. And the sky is just so full of stars you can't imagine counting them. But what God was saying to him was that his offspring would be so numerous, you couldn't count them, that Abraham and Sarah would miraculously in their old age have a child. And from that child would come thousands upon thousands of descendants. And Abraham believed the Lord. Now, there was no reason he should believe him. He was too old. His wife was past the time of bearing. And he, he 
There was no reason physically in this world to believe, but Abraham had faith in what God said. He believed God's word, and that was counted to him as righteousness. So later on, in chapter 22, when, when he's asked to sacrifice that son of promise, the son's miraculously born, his name is Isaac, he brings him up on the mountain to do what God asked, Mount Moriah, where Jesus was crucified, by the way. And he says that if God made this promise, we read this in the book of Hebrews, if God made this promise, then even if I slay him, God has to resurrect him. I so believe in the word of God that I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. That's how great my faith is. And so you know the story. He lifted the knife and the angel stops him. And as he was coming up the mountain, he had already told his son, my, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the offering. And there behind him in the thicket was a ram caught for the offering. So that act of faith showed that his faith in chapter 15, believing in God, was totally real. It was his actions that gave evidence to his faith. So God says to us, today believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Do you believe what God says? Do you stake your life on it? Will you do it despite everything seems to be opposing it? Or do you, like most people, say, but, but I think I can be good enough and have a good chance of getting into heaven. What we so easily overlook, and actually, you know, I don't get together with who's doing call to worship, tell them what I'm going to preach on, but Joy's thoughts went right along with this. The, our problem is we cannot, it's hard for us to see how fallen we are. We have a hard enough time imagining the holiness of God but we have just as hard a time as seeing how fallen we are. And I like to have people uh, to try to get there think of what would the world be like if there were no restraint whatsoever on evil? If you did anything you wanted to do and you wouldn't be held accountable, how crazy would the world be? How frightening would not only what other people would do, but what would you do? And that gives us just a little glimpse into how, how much we need salvation, how much we need the righteousness of Christ, how much we need for him to restrain evil. And if we could see the holiness of God like Isaiah did, we'd be on our face in the dirt, shaking with disgust at how far short we fall from that perfection and that love as we recognize what we really deserve. You know, when, actually, Jory alluded this too, when he talked about getting in God's presence and, and he felt undone. That's what Isaiah said. He saw the Lord. He saw the glory of God and he fell on his face and he said, I'm undone. Another translation is, I'm unraveled. And when that happens, it's not just, you. wow, you're great and I'm not. It's always God puts his finger on a specific fault in us every time. He puts his finger on a specific fault. And for Isaiah, it was, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. 
he had just in the previous chapter blasted everybody for all these different things, but he forgot about his own heart. But when he saw God, he realized how fallen he was, the pride that came from his lips. And that's why Jesus, God sent Jesus to take our sins upon himself and the penalty we deserve. If you believe and accept it, it will be counted to you as righteousness as well. Abraham lived 400 years before the law was given by Moses. So his faith in God's declaration to him had nothing to do with the law. And it had nothing to do with circumcision. That comes two chapters later in Genesis 17. That is Paul's point to the Galatians, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's how we are saved as well. That's how everybody's saved. That's how anybody gets into heaven, is they believe God. They believe his word. And what Jesus did for us then makes us right in God's eyes. Works of the law will add nothing to it, but the evidence of your faith will be seen in everything you do. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. Right? Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. It'll result in actions. What we believe, we act on, right? So what we, Abraham acted on what he truly believed. He believed God's word. And if we believe God's word, we will act on it. Verse seven, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You know, um, a lot of times we, we look to our experiences to, to form our beliefs, but we need to take our experiences to test our interpretation of those experiences. Abraham is not only the father of Jews, but of all who believe God by faith as he did. Before God called him, he was a pagan living in the city of Ur. He then heard and obeyed the spirit by faith. And if God can do that with just one pagan living in a pagan culture, he can do it with anybody anywhere, anytime, because God shows no partiality. Can he reach a Muslim in Tunisia? How about an animist in the Amazon? Or a Buddhist in Nepal? I've heard accounts of those three different situations where they had revelations of Jesus and came to know him as their savior. God works the same today because he's the same God who reached out to Abraham. Those of faith, are the sons of Abraham. So what's the big deal about being a son of Abraham? Jews, Christians, Muslims, they think it's a big deal because they want to be heirs to the promises of Abraham, but many of them don't understand what it means to be an heir of Abraham. It's the blessing that came through Abraham's seed. In your seed, God said, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that seed is Jesus. Jesus was that descendant. Even knowing that, they don't understand why that's so special. It's because they've lost a sense of what sin is and how destructive it is. Our own culture is at war over this. One side saying there's no such thing 
that some acts in the Bible declare to be sin should be embraced as normal. It's normal to be, at least to a fallen world, but the results of sin are the pain and the suffering that the world's experiencing, including death and man's inhumanity to man. The world wants to blame it on God or claim it's proof that there is no God, but in fact, it's proof that the Bible is accurate when it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the heart of man is desperately wicked. In addition to all the suffering we bring upon one another, the fall of mankind affected the planet as well. So we have diseases and natural disasters. Jesus is the answer to all of it. Becoming a son or daughter of Abraham pulls us out of that cycle of sin and brings us into the kingdom of God. And that changes that changes not only the way we live presently, giving us meaning and purpose, but it also gives us the promise of returning to a perfect world. The Judaizers' desire to have converts obey the law came from this idea that only the descendants of Abraham or those converts to Judaism who were circumcised would inherit this, this kingdom of God. But Paul's saying that only people of faith are Abraham's heirs. That was a radical new inter interpretation based on the way Abraham was adopted into the family of God. You know, one, one might ask if, if uh, Jonah's ministry was in vain. Nineveh, you know, God, you know the story of how he tried to escape God's will and not go to Nineveh because Nineveh was uh, a Syrian culture and, and when they fought with other nations, they would use such horrible treatment of their enemies that people feared them. It was psychological warfare. And God sent Jonah there, and Jonah tried to escape, but he ended up there anyway. And his message was, 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. That was his whole message. 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. I imagine the next day he said, 39 days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. 38 days, and, and the Ninevites repented. And the scripture says it was counted to them as righteousness. They were not judged. Their repentance and belief in God's word delivered them from judgment. It's the same story. Believing in God, having faith in him. This righteousness by faith is a key doctrine of the Apostle Paul, and I believe it was, that when he was in the deserts of Arabia for those three years, this is what became so clear to him. He saw these truths in scriptures. He teaches this in Romans 3, 21 through chapter 6. He follows the pattern, in fact, of Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 12. If you read Genesis 1 to chapter 12, to 11, you, you just read of man screwing up and screwing up and screwing up and screwing up over and over and over again. So there's the flood. And even after the flood, then there's the Tower of Babel. That's chapter 11. And then you get to chapter 12 when God calls Abraham out of Ur and he believes God and is counted to him as righteousness. And the whole story it still goes up and down, but there's hope now. Because we realize from chapter 12, righteousness is by faith.
What, a, what blessing is God talking about when he promised to bless the world through him? It's the answer to all the rebellion in the heart of man mentioned in those first chapters of Genesis, 11 chapters of Genesis. And Paul's doing the same thing in the letter of the Romans. Chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 20, he points out just how wicked man is over and over in all these different ways. He explains none are righteous. And he warns the religious that they better look at their hearts and see the wickedness that is in there. And then from chapter 321 through chapter 6, he tells the answer of the condition is found in the blessing to Abraham. He describes how the blessing of forgiveness comes to Abraham and to David, in fact, by faith. He asks, is God not the God of the whole world? In other words, is God only the God of Israelites? Is he not the God of all mankind? And since he's no respecter of persons, anyone can come to God in the same way that Abraham did. Abraham's blessing to the whole world was twofold. It was his example of obeying God by faith, even though he wasn't always saintly. God counted his faith as righteousness. But the second is that the promise declared that through his seed, a descendant would bless the entire world. And that seed was Jesus, who made it legally possible for sins to be taken upon himself, re receiving the punishment, the justice demands, which is death. And that's why being a son of Abraham, which is to be a child of faith, is a huge blessing. And that's why it's a big issue for the Church of Galatia and for everyone else. It's the only answer to our sin debt. Works can't add anything to it, and failures can't take anything from it. The Judaizers were telling Galatians to trust in obedience to the law to complete their salvation, but Paul's saying that never worked. It adds nothing to what Jesus did. On the contrary, it focuses back on self instead of what Jesus did. It rejects the blessing passed down from the people of faith. Verse 8, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. The world would be blessed in Abraham, including you and me. In you, here in this passage, includes not only the DNA of the ancestors of the Messiah, but also his example of being a pagan who believed by faith and was made righteous. The good news is that it's not works, but faith in the one who came from the line of Abraham and fulfilled the original promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15 that a male descendant from Eve would crush the head of the serpent. This was always God's plan, so his words to Abraham were in accord with that predetermined future. And now, in our lifetime, it's coming to pass. All nations of the world have people of faith in Jesus and have become Abraham's spiritual descendants. They've placed their faith in the one who came from the DNA of Eve through Abraham to the Virgin Mary, a descendant of Abraham. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
we're blessed with that same relationship with God that Abraham had. Believing by faith, which results in blessing and communion with God. That ability to walk right in to the throne room of God. We, like Abraham, are friends of God. We have been adopted into the family of God just as he was in the same way that he was. He trusted God to make him righteous, looking forward to God's provision in the future. We look back to that provision and trust in Jesus' atoning death on the cross. Because we have more details of how it came about doesn't make us any better. In fact, it took Abraham more faith because he could not see or read of how it would be made possible. Jesus came 1,800 years after Abraham. Think of how hard it would have been for a pagan and surrounded by a culture with a totally different belief system to be convicted of sin and accept that a just and holy God would somehow make him righteous. Everyday experiences would cause you to wonder if it was really possible which is also a problem many of us have, who don't understand the power of the cross. But for those who understand that Jesus paid it all, there's calm assurance that it is indeed finished. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. We are blessed. If you have faith in Christ, you need to realize how blessed you are. There is no good thing God will withhold from you. We can say with Job, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. By faith, we are children of the King, the bride of Christ, on our way to the wedding feast of the Lamb, to behold our, with our transformed eyes the wonder of the glory of God and with our transformed ears to hear the seraphim sing his praises and with our perfected vocal cords to sing in perfect harmony with them out of an overflowing heart of joy. Amen. Aren't you anxious to be there? It's by faith because of his grace period that's it you know some people are starting to say this full stop you know that's it full stop it's christ alone by faith alone by grace alone amen amen i'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and sing a closing song thank you lord thank you for this grace and thank you that you made it clear throughout scripture that it wasn't works you gave us Abraham and David and the prophets who talked about this faith, that the just shall live by faith. So, Lord, thank you for making it crystal clear through the Apostle Paul who points out all these details in the, in the first covenant so that we can see clearly today we just trust in you because you have done it all. And when we do... You, you change our lives. You've prepared good works in advance for us to walk into. And at the leading of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we want to walk into them and do those things, not for our salvation, but because of what you've already done for us. Thank you, Lord. 
I just pray this morning that everyone here and everyone online that hears this message understands you paid it all. And that by faith we receive that incredible grace that takes our sins and gives us your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.